hey everyone, welcome back to the Missio podcast. So this week we are talking about joy. It is the second week of Advent uh, for Missio. We are doing things kind of on our own way. It is not actually the second week of Advent for everybody else, but we started Advent just a little bit early. Um, and so it is our second week of Advent, and we're talking about joy this week, which I realize joy is typically talked about on the third week of Advent, the Advent, but you know what? We're doing things so differently, it doesn't really matter. I wanted to talk about joy this week, uh, just because I feel like it's an important one for us as we continue going through and discovering more about the arrival of Jesus and how we participate in these things like hope and peace and joy and love. And so if you guys know me very well, one of the things you know about me is that I really love comedy. I love to watch stand-up comedy. I love to, you know, watch fun shows or TV uh, or movies or whatever. It's just fun. I enjoy uh, laughing. I think it's an important part of of life. Uh, we've said this before at Missio that if you can't laugh together, then you can't go on mission together. It's an important part of, of who we are as humans and to experience the fullness of the human experience is to laugh, I think, a lot of times. And there's actually been quite a bit of research that's been done on the benefits of laughter. And so I want to actually say share some of those uh, benefits with you because they're quite striking, actually. Um, I don't know if you know this, but laughter actually has aerobic benefits to it. <laughs> so, so 10 minutes of laughter a day can burn up to 40 calories. Now, that may not sound like a lot, but if you are laughing for, you know, a lot of the day, that's a lot of good calories to burn. Now, I will say that laughter is maybe not like the the greatest like workout program for you to be able to run a Spartan race in a year or something like that. You you may need to do other things as well, but you can burn calories while while laughing. Laughter also lowers stress, and apparently, laughter can help lower your risk of heart attacks. Um, I loved this one, that laughing actually increases a person's pain tolerance. Now, this does not work if you are the one that's laughing at other people who are getting hurt. Like, that's not the way that it works. You can't increase somebody else's pain tolerance by laughing at them. You actually have to be the one laughing to increase your own pain tolerance. Now, this one was a little bit strange, but it was nonetheless there in the part of the research. But, apparently, hospital clowns do reduce stress in hospitalized children and their parents. Uh, that is, unless you are terrified of clowns, and then it does the exact opposite. So there's that. But that's just some of the research that I found for the benefits of laughter. There's actually quite a bit more out there, which was pretty neat to see. But a lot of these places that have done research on the benefits of laughter will also kind of talk about some ways to incorporate laughter more into your life. And so they said just things like recommending laughter to people and recommending humor and fun as important, you know, for good health can actually be enough to get people to engage in humor, in laughter, in, in that form of, of health benefits. I'm sure you guys have heard of the idea of hot yoga. But have you ever heard of laughter yoga? It's a real thing. Uh, laughter yoga instructors have participants apparently begin the yoga sessions by pretending to laugh in various ways. And then somewhere along the way, apparently, real laughter begins to happen. 
And so one of the exercises that they do in laughter yoga is that they'll have like a phrase or a word that they'll say, like Mississippi, Tennessee. And then in the place, of, they'll, and they'll say those words like in a certain kind of cadence. But then in the in place of the words, they'll have people laugh that same kind of cadence um, just to get things started. I, and I just love that, right? But laughter has this ability to change the mood of a room, right? And as I mentioned before, this week we're going to be talking about uh, the joy of Advent. And I was thinking about the way that in all of these Advent weeks, uh, we tend to define the words that we talk about, hope and peace and joy and love. We tend to define those words in opposition to the counterparts to those words. And so we make the distinction between hope or despair, love or hate peace versus chaos. And what tends to happen with joy is that we often don't pit joy against what is an assumed opposite in things like sadness. So we don't talk about joy versus sadness. We tend to talk about joy versus happiness. And so we'll say things like joy is not happiness because happiness is fleeting and joy is eternal. And these are some of the phrases that we tend to use with things like joy. It's like in churches, we are so worried that if we allow happiness to be a part of joy, that we will somehow minimize the potency and spirituality of joy. But this week, as I was really digging into the biblical understanding of joy, what became very, very clear was that joy certainly involves things like laughter and happiness, those momentary emotions of something that sparks good feelings or smiles or thankfulness. And it just simply does not work to pit happiness against joy because happiness is a part of joy. It's involved in joy. And I think what happens in Scripture, which is what we want to look at today in this teaching, is that in the Old Testament, a lot of the uses of joy are actually rooted in creation, in what God formed through the heavens and the earth and then everything on the earth. And then when Jesus arrives, joy and happiness do not go away or even really change at all. There is still this sense in the New Testament of joy that is rooted in the creation itself. But what happens with with the advent of Jesus is that Jesus, I think, adds to the joy, something divine, something that is rooted in things not of this created universe, but rather that's rooted in the spirit of God. And I realize that if you're listening to this, you may be thinking, surely it's not like that cut and dry. Like, surely joy is not fully rooted in creation in the Old Testament, and then it's something different in the New Testament. And if you're thinking that, you would be absolutely right. The more you dig into Scripture, the more you see how things are never as cut and dry or black and white or Old Testament versus New Testament as we want them to be. And so as we go through this, just realize that there are portions of joy that are rooted in creation or rooted in the Spirit found in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. But there is, I think, something unique about the nature of Jesus' arrival on earth and then his ascension back into heaven, which was then followed by his sending of the Spirit into all people that brings joy in very powerful ways. 
And so that's what I want us to dig into. We're going to talk about joy from the Old Testament to the New Testament into today. And so again, much of the use of joy throughout the Old Testament is actually rooted in the creation itself. And so Psalm 65, we're going to read several passages, but starting in Psalm 65, starting in verse 5, it says, You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Savior. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, and the turmoil of the nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, for so so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and they sing. So there is a very real truth in which God, who is the creator of the earth, the creator of the heavens. And when and when you read that, that word, like the heavens in the Old Testament, typically what they were talking about was not um, like heaven where God lives. Like that's not what he's describing. Typically they're talking about space, anything that's not on the earth. And so in those two spaces, in the heavens and the earth, God has infused within all things the very essence of his DNA and his being. And so part of that means that his love, his tenderness, his grace and compassion are infused within everything that he has created, which means also his joy has been infused with that. And so when you see just the unbridled beauty of creation, does it not bring you joy to look at it? to be a part of it, to enter into it, those feelings of amazement and wonder. If you live in the Northwest and you know the beauty of this place, and I think we all who live here have places where, you know, when we think about this idea of beauty uh, and, and the joy of nature, there's probably a place that comes to mind. For me, it's the Columbia River Gorge. I grew up in Portland, and so we would go along the Columbia River Gorge all the time. My uncle owns a, law, a lodge that's, you know, on the Washington side, just east of the Bridge of the Gods. It's just unbelievable. And I love this psalm because King David, who wrote this psalm, is saying that as the earth is producing crops and the grasslands are watered and the flocks of sheep are covering the ground, they are being provided for by the land, that the land itself, creation itself, experiences joy. See, this isn't that we alone as humans experience joy by seeing the beauty of creation. It's that creation also experiences joy because it is flourishing under God's care. Now, just being vulnerable, think to yourself, have you ever thought of the earth as actually alive and with the ability to experience things like joy? You know, the more that we have been digging into scripture over the past year, the more I have come to realize that we in churches in 2023 have a very poor understanding of our connection to and relationship with the earth. 
And scripture actually has a lot to say about the land, the connection that we have to the earth and what the earth itself is experiencing. I mean, just last Sunday, we read where Paul says that the creation is groaning and eagerly awaiting the freedom that it longs for from the bondage that it was put in, not on its own will, right? And honestly, the more that we look at creation and we see the way that it is being abused, it should cause Christians to mourn and lament because the earth itself is something that deserves to experience the joy of God through it being allowed to thrive. And so the earth itself experiences joy. But then there's also passages like Proverbs 27, verse 9, which says that perfume and incense bring joy to the heart and the pleasantness of a friend springs forth, springs from their heartfelt advice. Now, perfume was very different back then than it is today. It was not as readily available. It was very, very expensive. And so it was a lot more rare. And so the use of perfume and incense would have conjured up this idea of exuberance and the lavishness of joy. And so the writer of Proverbs is saying that joy that is experienced with perfume is what you would want to compare to a good friendship. And so hopefully you guys have some really good friendships that are as sweet as good perfume that bring joy to your heart. And then Psalm 104 verse 15 says that wine brings joy to the human heart. We live in a great part of the country for some really, really good wine. And Psalm says, bravo for living in the Northwest because wine brings joy to the human heart. And so all over the Old Testament is this sense that joy is so often rooted in the creation itself and things that God has brought into existence. And the reason that this is the case is because God has imparted pieces of himself into the creation. Which means that we are experiencing good parts of God when we see the beauty of the earth, when we experience incredible fragrance and incredible friendship, when we sit and we drink great wine. Not only do we experience the joy of those things, so does all of creation itself. You know, for much of Christian history, there has been a form of theology called dualistic theology. And dualistic theology says that all things that are physical are evil and all things spiritual are good. This was some of the Gnostic theology that was actually present widely in the second century. And it was actually uh, kind of making its appearance in the late first century. And some of the New Testament writers would actually call this out as nonsense. But dualism continued to thrive and grow and have kind of its ebbs and flows throughout uh, Christian history. Most recently, dualism again became a very popular theological perspective through an early 19th century theology called dispensationalism, which has lasted in many parts of the Christian world into today. And we're not going to unpack what dispensationalism is today. It's, we don't have enough time for that. Um, but anyways, all of these different theologies took this perspective that everything physical is evil and everything spiritual is good. Which then you can kind of understand why the idea of creation being something of worth and value, something to be cared for and to experience the joy of it, is a bit of a deal breaker for people with this theological bent. Because the earth is physical, therefore it's evil and it's something to escape from. It's not something to find joy in. And again, you really see this surface when we talk about joy because joy in this very dualistic framework can only be experienced through spiritual things. 
So things like the joy of the Lord, the joy of salvation, things like that, which are things that we experience joy in, right? David himself in Psalm 51 pleads with God to restore to him the joy of his salvation. But this dualistic perspective is so fundamentally opposite of what the Bible teaches because this is a very, there is a very real and tangible joy that we experience that is deeply rooted in the earth itself. Because again, God through Jesus created all things. And, and this really is the sense that you get from the Old Testament that joy is rooted in the creation itself because of joy. And this joy that is rooted in creation is then carried into the New Testament through Jesus. Because again, remember, Jesus in John chapter 1, it says that God created all things through Jesus. But Jesus's advent brings another level of joy that can be experienced. And so uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 13 actually sums up this additional joy just so, so well. And so that verse says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the spirit. Now, if you remember from last week, we talked about the hope of Advent. And part of hope is acknowledging our inability and weakness to solve all of our own challenges and problems. And then obviously much less to solve all of the world's challenges and problems. But just because we can't solve those problems doesn't mean that we sit idly by just watching bad things happen. Instead, we have to step into the pain of the world, carrying hope with us, trusting then that the Spirit of God is going to continue to work in that pain for the good of the, of the people experiencing it. And so Paul starts by saying, May the God of hope, that same hope that we described last week, may he fill you with all joy and peace. And I love how in like 15 words, Paul uses three of the four Advent words, hope, joy, and peace. And he says, may you be filled with all, all joy and peace as we trust in God. And again, we talked about trust last week, that we have to trust in what God is doing through us, but also beyond us. That even if we don't see all of the healing that we long to see in the world, that bits and pieces of that healing is beginning to take place all around us. Paul then uses this great little phrase, which is so that, and anytime you see that word, that phrase, so that usually means uh, that as you do what was previously stated. And so he says, so that as you are, as you are trusting God, then you will begin to overflow with hope by the power of of the spirit. Now I think Paul is saying, look, there is a hope, there is a joy, there is a peace that is experienced in full as a result of Jesus's people trusting in what the spirit is doing both through us and beyond us. And as a result of that trust, we are then overflowed with hope in all things. But all of this comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, later in his letter to the Galatian churches, Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit. I'm sure you guys remember the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, these are the things that the Spirit within us is producing in ways that we cannot on our own. And the second thing on that list is joy. There is a very real and powerful joy that exists within Jesus' people that is produced within us because of the Spirit. It isn't something that is simply willed into existence. 
And see, one of the things that often gets said of joy, especially around Advent, is that joy should exist within us in spite of our pain and suffering. That even if you are going through some of the worst or most rough times or experiencing injustice or whatever, that that feelings of despair are opposite of what God wants for you, that he wants for you to to feel joy. We we read verses like Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 that says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And I think we sometimes present this to mean, look, so just be happy about whatever you are experiencing. Like, no matter what bad thing you are experiencing, just be happy. As a Christian, you're just supposed to be happy. It's almost like that passage that we talked about last week that often gets mistranslated to say that in all things, God is working all of your life for your good, rather than what it really says, which is that God is working with you to bring all to to bring goodness to and in all things. And see, these are just kind of simple misinterpretations that cause people to feel guilt when they don't experience joy in the midst of their suffering. See, Paul is not asking people to be happy-go-lucky when you're feeling the exact opposite, right? Or experiencing very real challenges. He's trying to point us to the Spirit of God within us because there is a joy that can be accessed because of the Spirit of God in us. A joy that is anchored primarily to salvation, to the salvation and redemption work of Jesus. See, I think we're being asked to sit in the truth of Jesus' work to bring us redemption and healing through his sacrificial work. And that is a joy that is experienced because we trust that Jesus is near and he will never, ever leave us. You know, when I was set on fire, uh, I was set on fire about five weeks before Laura and I got married. And I was in the hospital for a couple of days, and then I was sent home, and I was taking the bandages off of my face. And when I looked in the mirror, I saw a very different person staring back at me that I just didn't recognize. I mean, it it honestly just wasn't me. And I remember in that moment just feeling intense despair that this was how I was going to look for the rest of my life. And those next few weeks were honestly some of the most challenging for me because I felt like I would never be the person that I was before. You know, I also, I burned my arms uh, and my hands as well as my face, and I couldn't change my own bandages because my hands just didn't work properly and I couldn't do that. And so my dad actually changed all of my bandages every day. He put the creams on my arms and my face, and honestly, he just took care of me. You know, I think our parents have faults just like the rest of us do. But during that season of life, which up until that point was probably the most difficult thing that I had ever experienced, my dad hardly ever left my side. He took care of me. And it's something that I will always be grateful for, no matter if there are ups and downs that we experience in our relationship, like every relationship experiences. But it's something that I always be grateful for, because at that time when I needed him the most... He never left. And to me, that is a joy that goes beyond our pain. That goes beyond momentary emotions and it reaches straight into a person's heart. 
straight into their being. For me, there was no joy, there was no happiness in that season after that fire, except for two, two things, two places. The first being Laura, who continually told people, no, I'm not calling off the wedding because he was burned. And yes, of course, I still love him, even though he looks this way. But second was because my dad was there to take care of me. See, I think that the reason we do a disservice by telling people to experience joy in the midst of their suffering is that we tend to fall short and we forget to tell them exactly how that happens. And it almost never happens simply as a result of you willing joy into existence for yourself. We are just simply not that strong of people. Now, I, I realize that God can, through his spirit in you, do a miraculous work of joy within you in the midst of your pain without anybody else involved. But more often than not, it will come because of the spirit in the people around you, bringing a joy that is rooted in the work of Jesus into that pain with you simply because of, the, of his presence with those people and then them bringing their presence into your presence. You guys know that word Emmanuel. It's it's one of those Christmas words that we say all the time. And I'm sure you remember what it means. But it means God with us. He's with us. And I think it was meant as more than simply for the people whom Jesus came to 2,000 years ago. It was a word for all time because when Jesus returned to heaven, he sent the Spirit to reside within us forever. God with us. And as Romans 8 reminded us last week that we are co-workers with God who is working through us to bring goodness in and to all things, what happens then is that we become ambassadors of joy to the people around us when they need it most. We do not ignore, we are not indifferent to, and we do not disregard the hurt and the pain in the world. We talked last week about doing the exact opposite of that. But I think this means that we can, in the midst of what the world is going through, in the midst of what we ourselves are going through, we can draw people's attention to joy, a joy that is rooted both in the creation itself, its beauty, its goodness, its wonder, and in friendship, but also a joy that is rooted in the power of the Holy Spirit in us. See, Advent is all about Jesus' arrival to bring us the fullness of joy through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so kind of as we end this, I just have two questions. My first question is, how are you experiencing joy right now? A joy that is rooted in both creation and in the spirit. It's okay to laugh, to feel happy, to smile, to experience those emotional momentary moments of just pure joy and happiness. That is a part of the gift of God to humanity. But there's also a joy found in the spirit within us. And even when we are experiencing those moments of pain, there can be ways for us to experience the joy because of the presence of Jesus and because of the presence of God's people around us. And so the second question is, how might you be an extension of the fullness of that joy to the people around you this holiday season?
We are people of joy, not fake joy, real joy. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful week. Bye, everyone. Thank you.